Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea. Today I wanted to offer a few tips for running awesome combat in D&D. These are not the end-all be-all of D&D combat tips. These are just a few tips that I've picked up over the, over the years and talked with a lot of other people about that I wanted to offer for running great D&D combat. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, my first tip is, uh, if you can, run your game with four players. D&D, the fifth edition of D&D, is really built around the idea that parties are uh, have roughly four players. If you think about the four character archetypes, fighter, wizard, thief, and cleric, uh, that is kind of the base default D&D group. D&D just runs better when you have about four players. You can run with a few less. You, know, you can run down with just one player and one sidekick. Awesome games. And certainly a lot of people run with more, five or six. But if you can, when you run for four players, combat is going to run a lot better when you only have four players. I know that's impossible for a lot of people. I get that it doesn't. Your circumstances matter a lot. But if you have the opportunity, that's an easy way to make combat run better. Uh, run lower level games. Again, not, not, uh, not the easiest thing in the world to do if you've got games that are 12, 13, 15, 17th level. But if you can, try to run your games with, uh, at, at lower tier, right? And combat runs better when it's in, in the first tier of combat, first through uh, fourth level. I would argue that third level is like the ideal sweet spot for D&D. Third level characters are meaty characters. They have cool abilities. A lot of them just got their, uh, their, their subclass abilities. They have enough hit points that they'll survive, but they're not so powerful that they have so many options that, that combat really becomes a slog. Uh, it's pretty easy to tune battles around third level characters. So if you have the opportunity, running for third level characters is great. And uh, the lower level your game, the easier combat is going to be. Third tip is use static monster damage. If you look at the monster manual, the default uh, for monster damage is static. It's the average damage that that monster can do. Use that. Use that average. Uh, lots of people don't. I think like only about 10% of the DMs that I've surveyed on this use static monster damage. Most of them roll for it because that's the way they've done it. But you don't have to. And static monster damage is really easy. Uh, it's fast and it just it streamlines everything. So even though it makes it seem like it's going to be more predictable, in my experience, players are not, they don't fixate on how much damage that, that static damage is. Um, so, so use static damage. It's there for a reason. Run theater of the mind combat for smaller battles. If you have a battle where there are fewer monsters than characters and where positioning doesn't matter that much, just describe the battle. You don't have to set up a big map. You don't have to have, uh, tokens and miniatures and tactical terrain because movement isn't going to matter that much. Positioning doesn't matter that much, particularly if you're fighting only one monster. Let's say you have four characters off in the, in the tundra and they come across a yeti. Describe the situation. The fighters will run up and attack it. The wizards and clerics will stay in the back. Keep that in mind and, and just describe what goes on. And those, those, those skirmishes uh, can run a lot faster if you don't bother to pull out maps and minis and grids and everything like that. So even if you don't use theater of the mind, uh, all the time, or even if you don't use it a lot, consider using it or try using it for really small for small battles. Uh, when you're running a large battle, keep in mind that you can inject the story into those large battles. When people are saying things like uh, combat is really long and it's a real slog, your question is, well, where should they be spending their time? Right? If you have a four hour game and your expectation is that a battle is gonna take so long and they want it to be less, where would they be spending that time? And the answer is often role-playing and exploration, the other two pillars of D&D. So how do you put role-playing and exploration into your big battles? How do you have the, the monsters yelling at the players and giving information? How do you change this, this, the scenery? How do you uh, give the characters things that they can explore or figure out or secrets and clues they can uncover while the battle is going on? The battle is just another stage for the story of D&D. So inject more of that in there. Uh, part of that is sandwiching mechanics with fiction. Don't just describe attack rolls and damage rolls and movement squares and terrain terrain sizes and areas of effect. 
Talk about what it means. What does it look like when a fireball explodes in a group full of gnolls, right? What does it look like when your glaive master is standing up front waiting to use polearm mastery to hit the, the first wave of people that are coming in, right? Talk about it in fiction. Sandwich your mechanics with fiction. Describe what's going on in the world, then describe how the mechanics play out, then describe what the results were in the world. That's that sandwiching sandwich mechanics with fiction, right? Wrap, wrap your mechanics with the fiction of the world. It sounds like that's going to take extra time, and a lot of people will argue like, oh man, now my battles got longer because now we're describing things all the time. But that's the story, right? You're, you're, I would argue, take parts out of the mechanics to simplify it before you start taking the story out or else you're just playing a tactical war game. Uh, some people like it and I'm not, this is just Mike Shea's opinion, right? I'm, this is not, you know, if, you, if you've got your way and you love it, go with the gods. I'm just offering my own tips. Drawing characters off turn with skill checks and, and related info. So if you have six players and if, you know, it's a great big battle, it's a great big boss fight, it's on the grid, everything's taking a long time. While players are making their decisions over here, while they're thinking about what they're doing or they're or planning it, go to one of the other players and say, hey, by the way, you with your perception, you notice that this other thing is taking place. Either another group of a wave of monsters is coming in, or you finally figured out what those glyphs mean on that rock, or you, you saw this terrain thing that like it is, could be potentially beneficial to you. Do it to one of the players whose turn it isn't so that you're continually drawing them back in. So while you're going around the table on initiative, you're hitting across the table to give information to the other people too. It can be a little distracting, so you have to be careful with it because if you're distracting the player whose turn it is, uh, you're just making it longer. So use abstract maps, break the grid, right? I talked about running through the mind for small battles. My next step up would be you can use maps and you can use tokens. Worry less about five foot distances, right? Particularly in big fights. Uh, it can just be lame when your big paladin, you know, the frontline paladin is gonna run in and attack the boss and they're five feet short of being able to hit him. Is that really what our story is about? Is that, you know, was Aragorn ever five feet away from a monster and couldn't quite reach it? You know, like that, that isn't the most interesting part of D&D. D&D &D is, is, you know, you can, you can make D&D &D about big stories, big events. And I would argue that the five foot distances, the, the resolution of five foot distances just isn't as important to the story of the game as it needs to be. And you can break away. And then there's a couple of different options for this. One, you can do the idea of zones. You can break your battle into zones and basically anybody can move anywhere within a zone or use a move action to go from one zone to another. They might take an attack of opportunity if they were engaged with somebody at the time. Um, but if you use this idea of zones and, and basically movement is a lot more free and fluid between these big, big zones, which are big descriptors. You could say massive, uh, you know, the, the massive shattering doorway on one and the crumbling bridge is another zone. And then the, the bloody battlefield is another. And you can say, I'm going to move from the bloody battlefield to the crumbling bridge, right? Or I'm going to use double move and go straight from the bloody battlef battlefield across the crumbling bridge up to the massive door. That's how zones work. The other one is from like 13th age, you can use abstract distances to describe things instead of describing them in, in fixed resolution in fixed five foot distances. Uh, you could say like you're adjacent, you know, you're within five feet of an, of an enemy. Like, okay, that means I'm gonna take it away. If I move, that means I can attack with melee weapon, so on and so forth. Uh, I'm close. Close means you can easily move up to them without having to worry about it. Far away, if somebody's far, like the evil wizard is up on a, on a hillside throwing fireballs at you and he's far away, it is gonna take you uh, a move and a dash to get all the way there, right? So there are circumstances where you, a move and a dash is still going to be a thing. But what you don't want to do is like, well, you get all the way there except for five feet. A lot of arguments against this. Hey, my monk has extra movement and now I'm lo you're losing the extra movement that a monk has. There's no difference between the distance of a dwarf, a halfling, or an elf. I asked, is, like, is that what makes those classes or races cool? I don't think so. I think there's a lot of cool things. There's a lot of cool differences between a dwarf and an elf other than the fact that one gets five extra feet of movement. And for a monk... 
you know, monks, you can say everybody else, it would take a move and a dash to get up there. As a monk, you can get all the way up there, right? Abstract distances, it makes, I, in my, my opinion and my experience makes uh, battles a lot more fun. The other one is ask for the intent. When you're running these sort of more abstract battles, what does the, what does the player want the character to do, right? Ask them up front, like, what is, what do you, what do, what's your overall goal? What do you want to do? And you can say like, well, I'm a polearm master. I want to stand in the front line. And as soon as that group of gnolls comes rushing in, I want to hit them on their way in with my polearm master. And you're like, got it, right? Now you know what will be cool for them. And you can give that to them, right? You want them to have that kind of fun. And they can have really complicated ones. Well, my goal is I want to I want to bait this knoll that's on top of me into attacking me by moving away. And if he hits me, I plan to teleport to this other group of gnolls using my uh, Misty Escape ability. And when I jump into this group of gnolls, I'm then going to use my Thunder Step, the Thunder Step away from those gnolls and blow them all up. And the players, the DM's like, you do it, right? He swings at you. You make your move. Boom, right? And they, like they're telling you what they want, right? Like when the players are telling you what they want, Find a way to give it to them because that's what's going to be cool for them, right? Change the situation, make things hard, change change the environment, but give them what they want. Ask them what their intent is. It's the number one. Those are probably the three words that really define narrative combat. Ask what they want. Ask for intent. What are some alternative goals other than just killing everybody in a battle? This is a big one. Uh, I, I really picked this up from Dave Chalker like 10 years ago. Uh, called He calls it the combat out, right? What is a way for a battle to end what is the end state of a battle other than one side defeats the other side completely and i have a few examples here there could be a ritual going on and your job is to break the ritual uh there could be a demon they could be summoning a demon and you have to kill the demon and even though you're getting attacked by cultists all the time your real job is killing the demon if you kill the demon the cultists are all going to run away right uh rescue the prince your, your job is not to necessarily fight all of these guards and do all this stuff your job is really get that prince out of the cage and get him back home to, to dad destroy the evil artifact right maybe there's a huge pillar and that pillar is causing all these problems and even though you're being attacked by this stuff your real job is smashing that pillar and that's what you want to focus on defeating the necromancer the necromancer is surrounded by undead minions all over but if you defeat the necromancer you'll defeat the minions they all they all fall apart into dust steal the gemstone right like even though there's this big battle there's this gemstone up and held in the hands of an idol your job is to get up there and steal that idol that gemstone and get out not necessarily fight everything that's in a room convince the enemy to stop fighting like maybe you're having a conversation with them and you're slowly convincing them it's like the most violent persuasion check ever right while they're fighting you you're fighting them but you're like look there's another way and then finally you convince them that that is the right way so uh those are just a few there's a lot of other running duels where you only once you take half your hit points you you surrender or the enemy surrenders things like that those combat outs are really a way to take big battles and you can shorten them by making sure that the end state isn't you have to kill everything in the room you can even describe it you can change these combat states in the middle of a fight where you defeat the big boss and all of the other enemies run away and you can say to the players like you get a few shots off and you manage to kill a few more but all the rest of them scatter into the woods right and you just took a battle and cut it down the, the length of time in half because the, the, the cool part happened. I'll give one warning though. Do not ever say, we're just going to call the battle right here because clearly you guys have succeeded. Don't break out of the story of the fight to end the fight because it's taking too long. Keep the story, keep it going in the story and let the story end the fight, not, not you. Uh, I've seen a lot of DMs, particularly in organized play because they're on time constraints, who will end a fight by saying, we're just going to call it right here. I don't know where this phrase came up, but I hear it a lot. And it's a terrible way to end the fight because it's like you're just breaking out of the story completely. And you're saying like, we hit time. We're going to end it here. No, let us get one last hit in, right? Like lower the monster, the boss monster's hit points to one hit point. So the next hit that hits, it kills it, 
right? You're already going to end the fight anyway. So drop your, you know, drop everything to one hit point. Let the next fireball wipe everything out. Whatever you're going to do, do it in story. So another thing that can make combat uh, uh, more interesting and certainly a way to change the pacing of combat, which I just hinted at, is adjusting the dials. Uh, the dials of combat that I see, there's a few different dials that we DMs have in front of us, both before a game and during a game. And those dials are monster hit points, uh, the damage that a monster is doing, the number of monsters that are in a fight, and the number of attacks that those monsters uh, are, are able to inflict. You can change those up. You have to be a little careful. This is definitely like man behind the curtain. You don't want them to know that you're doing it. Most of the time with monster hit points, you're going to turn it down because you want the battle to go faster. So suddenly the monsters that are remaining have a lot fewer hit points than you thought they might. They're weaker versions of them. Every so often, if you have a monster where you're like, this was a really big, important monster, and it, I didn't want it to die this quickly, you can turn the dial to the right, and the monster's hit points can go up, right? Sometimes you can double the amount of monster hit points. Sometimes you can just increase it up to the maximum amount that the hit dice allow for. You can change it. You probably don't want to change it unless you have a good reason, right? And that good reason should not be, I'm mad that my boss monster died too fast, because sometimes a boss monster dying fast is really cool. Uh, it really should be, is the pacing of this battle feel right? And, and those dials are for you to change the pacing and the theme of the battle. Increasing the damage, right? All of a sudden, the monsters start doing more damage. So about half of DMs that I polled use the flanking, optional flanking rules from the Dungeon Master's Guide, where when one character's on the opposite side of another character uh, with a monster in between, uh, they get advantage on their hits. Uh, there's a bunch of reasons why I'm not a big fan of this, and I'm not going to get into all those reasons. Instead, I'm going to offer an alternative, which I call cinematic advantage. Cinematic advantage means that in story, a character can do something cool and roll a skill check to get advantage on their next hit. Advantage and disadvantage are tools that a DM can use to, to incentivize or disincentivize, is that a word, from a situation. You can offer advantage, you can offer disadvantage, depending on the circumstances. But one good way is like, you know, I want to, we're fighting a big ogre. I want to run up on that rock and I want to leap off the rock and land on the ogre. Uh, and you're like, great, roll an athletics or acrobatics check. And then you think to yourself, how hard will that be? Well, the rock is pretty smooth and covered in moss. So we're going to say it's about medium difficulty. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how difficult is that? And you say a 5, and then you add 10. So DC is 15, right? So you say, make a DC 15 athletics or acrobatics check. And if they make it, they run up on the rock, and they leap off, and they hit. If they fail, they, 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 they swing, or they, they, they miss, and they land prone in front of the ogre. And you let them know, like, if you make it, you're going to be able to get advantage on your next hit. If you miss, you're going to land prone in front of the ogre. Tell them what the advantage and disadvantages are before they make the check. Because you don't want to punish a player for doing this. You want a player to have a benefit. And then they'll say, yeah, I'll take that bet. You're, ba you're basically making an offer, right? The offer is, here's a, the good thing that can happen. Here's the bad thing that can happen. Uh, here's the check you're going to have to make to do it. And you don't base the check on the character. So you say, how hard is this for anybody to do? And you would say, like, it's a five. You don't say, oh, well, it's the rogue. And the rogue has a crazy good athletic. So I'm going to make it an eight, you know? Don't base it on the character. Base it on the situation. And let if the character is really good at it, let him be really good at it. If, they, if they're not going to miss, they're like, oh, man, like, it's a DC 12? I mean, I'm plus 11. I can't miss. You're like, great. You're like, you're really good at this, right? Don't take it away from them. Give them things that their characters are good at. Uh, when the situation, when it isn't clear who a monster would attack, roll randomly to determine who it's going to attack. Uh, not all creatures uh, are, are tactical masterminds. Uh, a lot of times, they don't. you don't know who they're going to hit. And the chaos of battle is going on. So I would lean towards rolling randomly to determine targets uh, anytime you can. Now, if the players have positioned themselves, if the characters have positioned themselves so that like the tank is up front and the wizards are in the back, well, then obviously the monster is going to attack the tank up front unless it's really smart and has knows that the wizard is the problem and it has a way to get there. 
but don't don't think of it as a chess game between you and the players. Think about what the monster would do. And when in doubt, when there's any doubt, just roll randomly and avoids a bias where you're constantly picking on one character, particularly like if you have a player who isn't as tactically minded as others, you know, don't just pick on the character because they're not as tactically minded by constantly attacking them. Instead, roll randomly to see who a monster is going to attack. It is okay for big boss fights uh, to be long, as long as interesting things are happening in that boss fight. I've run boss fights that are two hours long, right? Great big fights, but the environments are changing. The characters are learning things. Major parts of the story are, are happening during that fight. Character arcs are taking place. All kinds of things can happen in a battle. A battle is just a different framework for the same story. So if we say like our battles are taking too long, it isn't, the question is, well, where else would you be spending that time? And how come that stuff isn't inside of the battle? A battle is a stage for all of the pillars of D&D, not just combat. Combat, role-playing, exploration, all of the things that they're doing, they can do. And we really do that by constantly staying in the story, reminding people why it matters and staying to the high, the high action that, that makes D&D. I hope this video is useful. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to the channel. Uh, you can also support me on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash I'd appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much and uh, get out there and make your battles awesome.